Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our special guest is writer Joshua Anderson. He's a reg- regular contributor for Nightmare on Film Street and at our own Gaily Dreadful. Yay! Yay! We're so excited you're here. Yeah, build me up, Buttercup. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks, you guys. I'm really excited to be here. We're really excited to talk we to you. We are so excited. <laughs> so how, how did you get into horror? Ever since I was, well, starting when I was little, my brother would always watch horror movies in the living room. I would pretend to be brave enough to watch them, but I would really just end up sitting facing the fireplace with the fire <laughs> screen up. So I could watch the reflection in the glass fire screen, but I would also have a blanket over my head and look through the holes and like the blanket. <laughs> How old are you at this point? This probably seven or eight. Aww. Okay. Yeah, he was like he was five years older than me, so that would be right about the time. But um, 
after that, I just got in. I have the same trajectory as a lot of people. I went to Goosebumps, like love the Goosebumps. Yeah. And um, anything R.L. Stein. And then as I got older, I started getting into the Monster Squad and Return to Oz, which fucked me up. Oh my god, Return to Oz. <laughs> yeah, what a fucking I, ridiculous movie. Uh, that, you did the episode. Who was it with? It was Bria. Bria, yeah. Oh, I felt her so much on everything she said. <laughs> <laughs> but um, after that, that, and then I really started booming into horror with um, when Scream came around. So that was 96. That was oh, 11. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, I just went to AOL where I had my own horror zine. Oh, really? Yeah. I had about 40 subscribers. I was proud of that. That's oh awesome. My God, yeah, I, love I know. That so much. <laughs> right. And then from there on, it just kept on growing and growing and growing and just. And like ingesting everything that I could. That's awesome. Yeah. And so what made you want to be a writer about horror? I had I thought I had a lot to say about it. And um I started on <laughs> <laughs> I started on Instagram and then just the little blurbs with Instagram posts. Then my it's funny, I the way Jessica got into writing with her whole um divorce. Mm-hmm. I was with somebody at the time when I was just starting to think about my um horror writing and um Went through a really bad breakup because people lie and they suck. <laughs> and <laughs> after that, I started writing on my own, just for nobody to read. And it helped deal with that anxiety, that, I guess, sadness and whatnot. I started putting it on Instagram and people started responding. And I was like, oh, okay, people actually interact with this stuff. That's awesome. The more and more I did that, the more and more interested I got into it. And then I went and visited my friend Jill in Texas. And she was like, you really need to start doing more like let people see it i was like okay cool and then the next week john and kim put up an ad for they were searching for writers for nightmare and i applied and within a few days i got a response back and i was like yes let's go so exciting and you you write so much cool stuff i mean like you have your where scare are they now or where are they now where scar are they i'm like reading it i'm like how do i say it but that's such a cool it's such a cool column um can you tell our listeners what that column is about it is i take people from the from horror films and um whether they haven't interacted with the horror in a while or they have i just take a look back at their film credits what they've done with horror and just bring it back up in the article and um just tell people what they actually did in horror. Like there may be some people who you didn't know were in certain movies and they were in that movie. Like Emily Perkins was in Stephen King's It. And I always forget that. I don't know why. Oh my God. But she was Beverly. Whoa. Emily Perkins from Ginger Snaps. But, um, yeah. So stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. It's on a Marin film streak. Guys, check it out. It's really cool. Yeah. We'll we'll do some links. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Also, I, I know I'm sure we're going to talk about this uh, later. Spoiler alert for the movie we're going to be talking about. But um, mm-hmm. I one of the things that, that you contributed to to my site with was about um, Alice, the uh, protagonist of A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the Dream Master. Yeah. And that is my favorite of the Nightmare sequels. And I I just I loved reading your, your article. Can um, what, what makes you relate to her so much? She starts off the film very quiet and not sure of herself. And um, that was me back yeah. in my Christian school because I, wasn't, I didn't fit into that Christian Southern mold that everybody else fit into. And then the more that she um, went along, she gained her friend's power. Sadly, it's because Freddie killed them and she gained their powers. That related to me the more I grew 
the more people that I met who I found out were understanding and would offer actual like love and life. And um, yes. and that's just where I stand with her. And at the end of the movie, she's just this badass chick kicking Freddy, a.k.a. life's ass. <laughs> like, I thought that was really inspiring. And I fucking love Lisa Wilcox. She's so cool. Uh, I met her two, three years ago at Mad Monster Party in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, and, really? And, yeah, and they had been really selfish and took up like 10 minutes of her time. But <laughs> <laughs> she was so awesome and so conversational and like such a bright personality. I loved her. I love her too. She's a uh, Lisa. It, I it's 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 interesting. I think um, especially when uh, you are like in a in a minority um, class, like being queer, that uh, you can kind of see a lot of yourself in that character. And I, I, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed reading your article about that and editing it was that um, I, I had a similar thing with with her. And I I feel like I wonder if that's like. I wonder if that happens a lot with that character, you know? That's what I was thinking. I hope it does, so people can just find that some kind of solace in it. Yeah. So, Terry, what have you been watching? So, here's the thing. Um, you know... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm ready for this. <laughs> yeah. When, when you have a day job that is completely unrelated to <laughs> your moonlighting side gig <laughs> writing... Oh, um, God, the struggle... Right. Sometimes you start to deal with burnout. I mean, I'm sure p people that are writing, you know, for their job also experience this. But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you work a eight hour, 10 hour job and you get home and it's like, uh, I got to watch this movie or I got to write this review or I got to do this or I got to do that. And you just get to the point where, like, you feel like you're constantly doing nothing but working. So I haven't watched anything of complete interest to uh my writing but i did watch i rewatched kingdom have you guys seen that netflix show kingdom? okay i have not but my room my old roommate abby wants to watch it with me before she moves and because the new season's coming out i think this week or next week march 13th okay yeah that's a zombie show right yes it's yep. the south korean period piece zombie uh series have you seen it josh no but why haven't i I, oh my god! Right, exactly. It's like what I thought when I was like, "Wait, how have I not watched this yet?" <clears throat> right? It is fucking awesome, and I, I I watched it when it first came out, and I was like, "Why is no one talking about this?" And then I didn't write about it. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> but uh, with the new season coming out, um, I decided to sit down and rewatch it. And let me tell you that that show is fucking awesome the production design of it is like it looks expensive as hell um the zombies are really interesting the, the the way the way it starts is that this king in um south korea is sick and his like child bride almost um doesn't want anyone to see him because she wants to give birth to a legitimate um son before he passes because her i guess stepson who's older than her <laughs> is um the illegitimate well he he will be the heir to the throne but his um he was sired through a concubine so he if this baby is born he will have no ties to the throne and it turns out that the that um this ruler this emperor is he is dead and he's a zombie and he attacks someone that is a doctor and the doctor um brings the body back to this small 
um, clinic where he's he's working in the southern part of, of of South Korea, and through events that I don't want to talk about, it ends up infecting people, and pretty soon. Um, the zombies are like spreading through the southern parts of the region. So it has this kind of like almost kind of like a Game of Thrones-esque like epicness to it with like this encroaching zombie horde with also like political infighting. But the zombies are fucking awesome in this. They they almost have like a, in some ways a vampiric quality to them in that oh. like during the day they they like will hide they will like crawl under anything that they possibly can and they'll look like dead bodies they'll just drop dead and then at nighttime they like shamble and like quickly run and they move in like that kind of creepy like their bodies shouldn't move that way kind of kind of fashion and it's yeah. it's so it's so fucking good and i think a lot of people are sleeping on it and it's a shame i hope people watch it i'm on it tonight <laughs> <laughs> I like zombie stuff like that that doesn't follow a certain mold that we've all seen before. Yeah. And I, I love that, you know, it's 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 based on a webcomic, I guess. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. And the uh, the the webcomic writer also wrote um, the show. But yeah, that's one thing. And then the other thing is another Netflix show. <laughs> so I'm apparently a shill for Netflix right now. <laughs> this one is 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 tied to my writing, but I didn't write anything about it yet but it's um elite have you guys watched elite at all no, no i haven't i've heard about it, though. it it is a spanish language um series that takes place in high school and i want i, I want to compare it to kind of like almost how to get away with murder in that like oh interesting yeah except it's very um it's very queer <laughs> you there's like there's Polly Amory in it. There's like a really a, an adorable gay couple at the heart of it. But um, there's like there's a threesome that happens in the first season that is male, male and female, which you never see. Oh, it's just it's 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 trashy. It's lewd and it's really well written and it's exciting. And it like mixes like genre with um, high school shenanigans. Cool. It's it's a lot of fun. The third season is also coming out. Uh, ironically, the same day as Kingdom Season Two, March thirteenth. Oh, um, nice. And I have the first. I don't know. I don't know why Netflix is doing this, but they gave out the first two episodes. Really? So, like, I'm Just supposed the first to, like, two episodes? Yeah. So I'm supposed to like review it in time for the show to drop and it's embargoed till the day of the show. I don't know. It's huh. weird. But... Oh, interesting. It sounds like one of those shows they're trying to bury. Yeah, but it's just it's frustrating. Like, it's, it does so well. Um, it, it's apparently like they, it's one of those shows that was quickly renewed for a second season and then quickly renewed for a third season. And the second season like aired in, um, in the late summer last year. So like, it's not even a full year before they were releasing the third season. I just, huh. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they're why they're doing it that way. But um, the first episodes I saw were really good. So cool. Yeah, that's about it. Like I said, no movies than just sort of. Vegging. I think, you know, that's a good and you are allowed. Yeah. And I am proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I feel like it's such a slacker. Oh, my God. I feel uh, no, like no, no. You're not a slacker. But I also understand that feeling. I think like I must consume all of the time. I must consume all of the content because that is what I have to do as a writer, but also like, that's yeah. not good for your brain. <laughs> yeah. And I've been playing a lot of smite a video game. <laughs> that's Wait, much... which one's smite? 
It's a, uh, are, it, are you familiar with like MOBAs with like Dota or League of yeah. Legends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like Dota or League of Legends, except it's, um, third person, um, and like oh. with like, like aiming, and it's about, um, ancient gods. So like you play oh. as like Poseidon or Zeus or, um, they have Chinese gods, they have Japanese, they have, um, all these different, um, ancient gods that you pick to play as, and then you just play with people and i have two friends that live in in new york and they're really close and that's kind of how we we keep in contact as we, oh, we play awesome. this game yeah. yeah so that's that's been my cool. <laughs> last week and a half i would awesome. say what about you mary beth so i finally got i finally finished or watched swallow yes. which is coming out march 6th so it'll be out by the time this episode um publishes so Terry, you've talked about Swallow a little bit on the podcast, mm-hmm. but Swallow, for those of you who haven't listened to the ep- those episodes, is about a young woman named Hunter who is married to a very rich man and his family, and they all are fucking terrible people, to put it lightly, mm-hmm. or to put it bluntly. And then um, she develops pica, which is the eating of objects that you aren't supposed to eat. So, like, marbles, tacks, batteries. Um, And so it is basically a film about her trying to gain control over her very out-of-control life. And I absolutely loved it. Um, It is... So I have OCD, and Pika is... I don't have Pika, but Pika is a... um, can be a subset of OCD. Because a lot of the time it's, like, compulsive, and you do it as a compulsion, like your body kind of like will obsess over it until you do it, which I think they do a really good job of portraying in the movie. But also this movie is about like feminine rage and feminine control. And it is just amazing. And I absolutely loved it. And I can't wait to write a million words about it. Cause I just have so many thoughts about it. And what it is, like what it does and what it, how it represents mental illness because I have a lot of feelings about how obsessive compulsive disorder and things that are associated with it are often portrayed as cover comedy. Um, mm-hmm. And like you know, Monk, he was really funny because he had OCD, but like his right. OCD is like not how a lot of people experience OCD, and like it's in as good as it gets. But he's he, Jack Nicholson plays a total douche because of his OCD, and like it's usually played it's by men for comedy. And so finally seeing a woman with um, Pika and having it played seriously was just like really meaningful to me as someone who like, you know, likes to see nuanced and complex portrayals of mental illness that aren't just a punchline. Yeah. So I absolutely adored it. Um, it's a hard, it's hard to watch obviously because she's, there's a lot of reasons why it's hard to watch. Um, I got really frustrated a lot in a lot of the characters, but it's mm-hmm. um, beautifully done. I think it's very carefully written and shot so it doesn't become exploitative because it feels like this kind of film could become very exploitative very quickly. Yeah. But this this is like, this kind of toes that line of like almost being like super exploitative, but actually not really. So I really respected that as well. And um, Haley Bennett, who plays Hunter, is an absolute fucking queen. Like, she's such a... She's so good in this movie. So, um, 
those are like my very quick thoughts on that. And then I also watched Blood on Her Name. I don't think I've talked about this one yet, have I? Um, no, I don't think so. So have you guys seen Blood on Her Name yet? Yeah, I saw it at uh, Panic Fest. Yeah, so I watched that. That comes out um, February 28th, which obviously it'll be up by the time this podcast releases. And I also really enjoyed that one. Um, another really fascinating film about uh, feminine rage that's handled really well. And I think I just really like watching women <laughs> get angry. <laughs> um, I think there's like um, an emerging trend in what I like to watch and it's women getting mad and like being allowed to be mad because I feel like so often in horror like women are shown like screaming and freaking out and being attacked but they're never really shown being angry and kind of leaning into their rage and so the uh, Blood on Her Name is another example of um, feminine rage and very different different way it's about a woman um played by bethany lind who accidentally kills someone and she has to kind of grapple with the consequences of that and so it um it takes place in the south so it's like it's been described just des- described as like a southern gothic neo-noir and there's mm-hmm. like a lot of words that i'm not necessarily i don't necessarily know if i would apply to it um it is yeah so- i agree <laughs> it is in the south i don't know if i would consider it gothic and i also don't know if i would consider it a neo-noir i'm also not super familiar with noir but like it didn't feel like a neo-noir movie it just felt like something different which is not a bad thing um but again like bethany lind who plays the main character is absolutely phenomenal i was actually able to interview her for nightmare on film street and she talks a lot about how because she plays a mother in this movie, how she was actually really scared to play this role because she's a mother who does some, you know, fucked up stuff. And she thought that no one would really care about her character or would dismiss her because she does bad things. But I really appreciate it because it's like, it shows that motherhood isn't one thing or the other. As a genre film, we all know this, like motherhood is either like, you are a pure pure figure or you are completely evil. There isn't really like... A middle ground and so while this movie is like more like crime thriller than like i would say horror it's still like a really awesome portrayal of motherhood in like a very complicated way where it's like it's not just a mom who's good or bad but a mom who's like trying to figure stuff out after she's been dealt a pretty horrific hand her entire life yeah and um it also has some really good twists um that like yeah. are actually grounded in the story so they don't feel like they just come out of nowhere but yet they were for me surprising yeah Yeah, i agree with that i didn't i didn't feel like it was unearned i feel like so many times you put in plot twists you'd be like haha look it's interesting now it's like they actually did the work to make those twists feel like oh that was that feels like it was supposed to happen it wasn't just thrown in there to like keep audience interest right it was like ingrained from the very beginning. Yeah. And I, I thought that was I thought that was really good. I really enjoyed that movie. And it was a good um it was a good movie to see in the theater, um, to be perfectly honest. Like seeing it with a crowd of people. Oh yeah, I, I watched it on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that happens all the time. Like I get so frustrated with myself and with like distribution is like I feel like so many movies I watch are just on my computer because they're screeners and most of the time like these movies don't come anywhere near me. Right. And it's like, I want to see them in a theater, but like, I'm, and I'm like, I mean, obviously like, I'm very lucky to get screeners at all, but it's, it's like, I, I interviewed someone like, oh, did you watch the film on this, on, like in a theater? I'm like, 
no, I watched it on my laptop. Oh. And they were like, oh, really? I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't have any other way to watch it. They were, they were understanding that I felt bad saying that. But I'm like, I don't, I, I'm just trying to, at least I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, anyway, um, Josh, what have you been watching? Um, I want to talk about this that came out today, the Candyman trailer. Oh, my God. <gasps> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. 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 Let's talk about it because I, I want to talk about it. <laughs> I do too. I just watched it for the first time. I had my work neighbor was like, "Have you watched a new Candyman trailer?" This and I stopped her, and I was like, "No, no, no!" (laughs) And she was like, "What? What? Do you believe in Candyman? Like, do you not want me to say his name four more times?" I was like, "No, that's not it. I just don't want to be spoiled." I love her. I do too. She's my favorite. What a sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, but like when I saw the poster, I drooled. When I saw the trailer, I. for lack of better terms, I creamed my pants because <laughs> they, <laughs> they literally did a trailer that how a trailer should be done. But we don't know exactly what's happened. It's hinted at what's going to happen. Yeah. But it's still full of mystery and it looks gorgeous. And Vanessa Williams is back. Yes. Mm. Uh, and the lady who looks like um, Virginia Madison, but isn't, but isn't she supposed to be in it? Yeah, uh, well, um, Virginia Madison's not in it, unfortunately, but like the mm-hmm. they they pick someone to play her character. Like okay, yeah, Good. and um, I I picked this up, but that um, the main character is the baby from the first movie. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I saw I saw that. Um, I have people tweeting about that. Yeah, so like the the baby Anthony uh, McCoy, I believe is the last name. He um, this is now him as a grown up. Is that confirmed? Back to Cabrini. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah. Okay. I. I don't know. I see things on Twitter, and like, I. I. I never know. Well, I mean, I'm. I'm assuming it's confirmed because the baby's name was Anthony, and oh. um, his mom's name was Mc, McCoy. Okay, and that makes sense. He's credited as Anthony McCoy. So yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm assuming. Yeah. No. That. You know. That all makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> um. Is Tony? I. I never saw. Is Tony Todd going to be in this one at all? He's he's listed in the IMDb credits. Okay, but I don't know. He's never yeah. given, nobody's ever given any like exact yes or no on it. Okay, no, it's probably gonna be coy. like a surprise. Like, that means like he's probably gonna like be in it. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I well, and the the um the actor playing Anthony was Doctor Manhattan in Watchmen. Yes, he was. Um, mm. Tall yeah. drink of water. Yes, well, mm. yeah. <laughs> everyone. Mia mm. <laughs> <laughs> DaCosta is the director, so a black yeah. woman is rebooting this iconic franchise, which is so exciting, guys. What the hell? Like, this is such a big deal, and like Jordan Peele is behind it, and he's he produced and wrote it with DaCosta, which is so exciting. Um, it just like, I just like there's nothing to not be excited about about this movie. I just I feel like like exactly. I'm just yeah. and I've seen some people like being negative about it and they're like why do we need this? I'm like do you understand what it means to have like a black woman directing this whole like this massive horror sequel and like or sequel I guess sequel's the wrong word reboot but not really I don't know but like you know a white a white guy directed the first one right so like yep. Yep. I don't know mm-hmm. this feels big and amazing and also Candyman is like. And is one of my favorite horror movies. Anyway, yeah, I love Candyman. I I love oh, that movie so, so much. It's one of the ones that I like. Another one from my childhood that I remember 
definitely being completely terrified and not looking through the holes in the blanket and just <laughs> hiding under the blanket. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really hope someone will want to come on the show and talk about that movie because oh, I have, I have thoughts. So good. Yeah. It's so good. Also, I got another thing I watched. I just want to put it out there that um, I at the beginning of every year I go through this thing where I watch movies I've missed from like all the time back, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, I've done missed eighty slashers this year, and I had a trio of um pieces hell night and intruder oh yeah yeah pieces is ridiculous I, it's so ridiculous I have you seen it mary beth no hold on i'm looking it up right now oh my god pieces? it is pieces yeah it's what you think it is isn't that the, <laughs> the, the tagline is that from <laughs> like the tagline what year is it from 1981 okay but yeah it's so full of random there's a bruce lee lookalike comes and attacks our lead girl and just goes like Kung Fu on her for no apparent reason and just walks away. And yeah, it's so it's so random. Wait, this, it's such a random movie. It, a mysterious killer is creating a human jigsaw puzzle from their body parts. Yeah. What yes. the fuck? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird, but so great at the same yeah. time. Okay. I'll I'll watch it. I'm like woefully mis. I'm like woefully uneducated on the world of the slasher. And isn't it? Am I wrong? Is it's an Italian slasher, right? It's in Isn't Spanish. It? All of everything I'm looking at is, is it's it takes place in Boston, but I think it, it's a Spanish and Italian oh, language Spanish. film. Yeah. Yes, the dubbing is horrible, which makes it oh, better yeah. for me. I love horrible dubbing. Oh my god, well, well, horrible, when it can be horrible, horrible dubbing from like the <laughs> 70s and 80s is my favorite, and also the yeah. worst, but like also my favorite. Yes, but that's all I've been watching. Cool. So, okay, we've talked about what we've been watching now, but let's talk about the movie you brought with you today, Josh. What I'm so excited. are we talking about? We're talking about Wes Craven's New Nightmare. How would you like to join us in the definitive nightmare? I thought you killed Freddy off. They told you he was dead. And since you've been thinking of making it, has anything funny happened? For uh, ten years, he's been held captive. That's Freddy in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And now he's got the last laugh. What is he doing? He's decided to cross over out of films into our reality. Wes Craven's new nightmare. Miss me? Oh, um, Terry, would you do the honor of reading this for us since you are the nightmare on elm street expert i sure will um wes craven returns to the nightmare on elm street franchise almost exactly 10 years after the original film heather langenkamp playing herself is dealing with a stalker and menacing freddy sounding phone calls when her husband chase played by david newsom hot dad alert is killed in a mysterious (laughs) truck accident and her son dylan miko hughes begins talking about a scary man in his dreams she realizes that freddie wants to enter the real world and the only way to defeat him is to become nancy thompson one last time yes so josh how old were you set the scene how old were you when you saw this and let's let's dig into this because i only have heard bits and pieces from you and i just can't wait Mm -hmm. okay so the first time was it was right around when it was released on video i think it i I was nine or ten ninety four ninety five and um home inside everybody's outside i go to put the vhs and the um my brother had rented it i go to put the vhs in the vhs player watch the first minute or two and the first flick of the finger that the metallic freddy glove does that's on the set of the movie i yep. told myself nope i'm done so i cut it off <laughs> and, and then it was a 
few years later, when I started getting into the horror, I had already seen all the other nightmares, was never terrified by them. I was fascinated by them, you know, creeped out, sure. But they never bothered me. So I finally got to New Nightmare. I'm watching it in the, on the living room, fully light. My mom's in the kitchen cooking. Like, people are walking in and out. No big deal, but I'm fully enamored. The fact that it was t- took place in the real world is what, the real world, quotation marks, um, is what scared me the most. Because my 12-year-old mind is thinking, holy crap, what if this could happen in the real world? What if Freddy's actually real and Wes Craven actually experience this and he's just it's like a a biography an autobiography or whatever so that kept that in mind the closet scene where miss me yeah oh see i just got chills when you said that (laughs) (laughs) like not even chills spfs which spfs are um scary butt feelings (laughs) i got them scary butt feelings Yes, when you get super scared and your butt just clenches and it like vibrates in a certain kind of way inside. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yep. Cool. Yeah, that's what that's what occurs. Hell yeah. <laughs> but um, I. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm laughing because you and we were DMing back and forth about about or like, and I don't think we were DMing. We were just replying back and forth, and you mentioned SBF or at, yeah SBF, right? Uh, yeah. And I was like what is this? Is this something I should know? And so I, I Googled it. And according to Urban Dictionary, it was okay. straight best friend. Nope, not straight best friend. And I was like, <laughs> hmm, I don't think that's what he means. But... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Scary butt feelings. Um, I love it. But yeah, that closet scene, that's the first thing that has scarred me. I, if I stand in front of a front facing closet, where it's just like, not a walk in, but just like a front facing, I get nervous. Really? Yeah. All the closets I've ever had have always been walk-in closets because of that. Whoa. Yeah. And I don't know what it... I still can't watch that scene. Last night I was watching the movie and the moments before it happened, I was yelling at the TV, oh, won't you just fucking come out already? (laughs) Very good. Also, very good. Right? And Pixie's looking at me like, Dad, you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is. Like, it, it just traumatized me as a like as a kid, and anytime I go to a frontward facing closet, I can't do it. Like I, I have one in my living room, but I have a poster propped up against it, and I don't even use it. <laughs> but, um, wow! Right, I really can't can explain it, but every time it's not even Freddie jumping out and doing it; it's the miss me how he says it. <laughs> but um. I, I had to like rewind that part a couple times because the way he says it is just is so perfect. It's iconic. And I just got chills again with even thinking about it. That and then the night after I watched it, of course, I'm laying in bed, replaying everything, getting more and more scared of what could happen in real life. Um, thinking about the evil entity that came about as Freddy. Oh, yeah. And again, I grew up in a Christian household. So, Mary Beth, you were talking about how you were afraid of, like, not afraid, but, like, really interested in demons and how... No, afraid is, afraid. Afraid, afraid is the correct word. Okay, afraid <laughs> of demons. <laughs> but I was the same way, like, and even though I had watched much, like, a lot of horror before, like, nothing had hit me as evil as that character was. And huh. so I'm thinking about that, thinking about demons. I decide, I had a, I did have a front-facing closet when I was a kid in my bedroom. Got tired mm-hmm. of looking at it that night, went to the living room and got on the couch. I was like, I'll sleep here. Was near sleep. And I, my brother swears to God, this wasn't him to this day. But somebody said, I mean, it was simple. Somebody just went, boo. 
Fuck that. I, no. Uh-uh. Yeah. uh-uh. Absolutely. <laughs> fuck that. I swear I heard it. I lay there like frozen, like, what the fuck do I do? I'm crying. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was like, in my head, I'm like, it has to be my brother. I swear to God, it has to be my brother. And so I like yeah. whisper his name and no response. That By the time he would come out laughing, like, aha, you little jerk, I got you. But um, no, like, I, I'm not sure how long I laid there, but I finally decided that I wasn't going to sleep in the living room. I wasn't going to sleep in my room. At 12 years old, I was going to sleep with my mom and dad. And right in the middle of them, too. So, Hell yeah. So went to my mom and dad's room. And, of course, I still had pride. And I don't want them to think a scary movie scared me. A, right. I didn't want to be that little wimp. B, because if I knew if I told them that, they wouldn't let me watch scary movies anymore. So um, I woke my mom up. And I was like, Mom, I had a dream. And you died. And I don't ever want you to die. <laughs> so she put me in bed with them between my, her and my dad. And, like... I went to sleep and woke up and none of us, like me and my mom, never spoke of it again because at that time, she's a four foot nine lady. I was about oh. five foot eight. Oh. Yeah. Oh, she's tiny. She's so little. <laughs> Her tall 12-year-old son got into bed <laughs> with them. I'm sure she, yeah, she probably loved it. She was like, oh my God, my baby. I mean, I feel like every time, like, if that ever happened with my parents, like, they're always like, oh God, they're in the head. They're like, oh, yeah, they still love me. Exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're like fucking traumatized. And you're like, right. <sighs> See, I didn't tell many people that except for my cousin, Emily. And to this day, whenever we meet somebody new, I'm dating somebody new. She'd be like, so Josh likes scary movies, but let me tell you about the time you slept with his mom and daddy. And oh, just <laughs> my God. I love Emily. She's like my best friend, but uh, she loves bringing that up. I mean, who wouldn't? Let's be you're honest. Right. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but like the film itself deals with, I didn't notice. I never really thought about this until last night. Mostly because I've never really watched it by myself since then. It's always been with somebody, even though it's my, I consider it my favorite nightmare. It's not one that I watch often just hmm. because of what the mindset it puts me in. And last night, I finally, I guess um. it, something came to me that a lot of mental health is touched upon in the film. Yes, I was thinking about that a lot while I was watching that, watching this actually. Yes. Um, what are you going to say? Go ahead. You're fine. Go ahead. I was just saying, like, it, I, it's, I didn't expect it. I mean, okay, just like background, I, I, like I said before, I'm like woefully, like, uneducated in slashers, and I haven't really seen that many Nightmare on Film Streets or on Film Street, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I do it all the time. <laughs> it's in my fucking head. Um, and Elm Street, I actually have only seen the original and then now New Nightmare. And I didn't expect it to, like, go down this kind of route of, Heather Langenkamp being almost traumatized by her past of like past family mental health stuff and like generational trauma. Like, I did not expect that. And like the fear of her passing it on to her son and like the very real fear that like whatever is wrong with you, like whatever is wrong as if anything's actually wrong, but like passing it down to your kid and inheriting that like mental health stuff. And that part, that part, like those parts like really got me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. So two things. One, listeners, you need to chime in if you want me to make Mary Beth watch all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies because I think we need to do it. Do I it. I think we do too. Yeah. Because uh, it's my it's this is my favorite franchise. Um, me too. Out of all the horror ones, 
That's why I love you, Josh. I love you, too. <laughs> I love you too, Mary Beth. I know, I love you too, but it's, this is nightmare on Elm Street bonding time. <laughs> it is. It really is. Um, so, because this, this was the first time that you saw it, right? Yes, a, this was yeah. the first time I saw it. So, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't remember when I saw this movie, but it wasn't on release. It was... Um, afterwards because this was during that time i've mentioned this before on the show but this was definitely during that era of when i wasn't watching horror movies um and so i I was reading a lot of a lot of horror books i was reading a lot of stephen king etc etc and so i didn't watch this until later and i didn't like this movie when i first saw it oh interesting yeah because it's so different from yeah. the other ones. And I, I realized it now, this this rewatch, because um, this was the first... Okay, so I, I watched it when I was a kid, did not like it. And then I watched it again um, a few years ago. There was a, a marathon um, of all the Freddy movies minus the remake, because that doesn't exist, no. um, at uh, the Alamo Draft House. And so we watched this then in a big, crowded um, auditorium. But this was, again, the last movie of a seven... <laughs> movie franchise mm-hmm. and i didn't really care for it then either but oh. this time i really enjoyed it although i don't hmm. think i don't think it's a perfect film because i think it's trying to do too much but we'll get to that in a minute yeah yes. there's a lot yeah. <laughs> i have a lot of feelings about that too yeah. <laughs> i have a lot of feelings about this in relation to scream but we can talk about yes that. Um, there's, there's just so much and i think that's that's one of the things that i really liked about it watching it this time is that it it made me think an awful lot because um i don't even know where to start with, with this with this movie as as an adult but um it predates scream and yeah mm-hmm. in a lot of ways it's a lot more meta than scream I think I I could okay I would agree with that because it's it's not just about slashers it's about horror in general it's about um it, it's a it's 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 kind of like a critique of horror as as well as like understanding the genre going back through time because it brings in fairy tales mm-hmm. it brings in like the the meta of of film slash reality which again is a meta of the original nightmare on elm street film like yeah. there's there's a lot there's a lot going on to it but i i, I don't think it's as successful as scream i think it tries like too hard at some point if it, if, to me it felt like it was almost like a prototype for scream you know that, what i mean that's like exactly what i was thinking Yes. Yeah, like it tries really hard to be meta with one movie and it tries to do all these like, you know, like the dad at like towards the end is act- like the actor who plays her dad, like becomes her dad. And like she has like that final showdown and all those like the tongue comes out of the, the phone. Like, it, it felt it got to the point where it felt more like fan service than anything else. Like, oh, really? I mean, I guess that's how I viewed it. Mm-hmm. Fan service might be the wrong word, but it's almost like, hey, look, like, see, remember that from the, the original movie? Guys, hi, look. It's like at certain points, it felt like that to me a little bit. Um, And so I feel like Scream was kind of Wes Craven taking a step back and realizing like, okay, maybe trying to be meta about one specific movie and one specific franchise is like too, too much. And maybe taking a step back at the genre as a whole will be like a better way to do it. And I, I think that was smart, but I also think it was, it's still, I think new nightmare is extremely clever. I was texting Terry last night and I was like, Holy shit. Like you think scream is meta. 
like I and I didn't know anything about New Nightmare going into it. I had no idea like it was about Heather Langenkamp playing herself as an actor or as an actress and all that stuff. So I was really surprised and really enjoyed like the like the creativity. Like I, I I just thought it was again like Wes Craven is just like so creative and tries to make these unique narratives and like I really appreciate that as a fan of the genre. Yeah. Um, so this is you said this is your favorite of the nightmare, Josh. Yes, yes number one. Um, so what do, what do you think about um, about it in terms of a fan service or meta um, narrative? Uh, watching it now, I totally agree with Mary Beth. It's it's it is a fan service. I think it's a respectable fan service. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. every notch that Wes Craven hit as far as that goes, like I feel every time I watch it, like I get excited about the tongue phone. Or um, and there's little little things that are said, um, like where Heather becomes Nancy and she's like, "It's Fred Krueger, Dad," or not Dad, yeah. but it's Fred Krueger. And John just John Saxon responds in the same way that I know how Chase really died. What do you mean? Fred Krueger did it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he did. sure. A nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. But so, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nope. Keep keep with your thought. It's gone. You're fine. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Oh, uh, speaking of um, like Heather even put her own life into that movie, like her actual actual real life. As far as those um, her being in the movie, being afraid that she had a stalker, she actually had a stalker mm-hmm. in real life. I mean, not Heather put it in, but I guess Wes Craven put it in. Yeah, she had a stalker in real life after um, her one of her TV shows was canceled. And so that was put in there. And then she also was married. It was is still, still married, yeah. married to a special effects. Um, oh, Jesus, uh, that's like too much for me. Like, that would fuck me up as a person. <laughs> I feel like I don't know how to tell what's real and what's not. Especially because she's playing herself like that is just like in my head a lot. See, that's what that's what happened with twelve year old me. I was like, "Holy shit! What is this real life for real?" Because also, when I was little, I thought when people died in the movies, they died for real. Oh my god, Josh, me oh. too. Did, did you realize? Okay, sorry. Sidebar: When I saw Titanic in theaters, I had a mental breakdown and oh. sobbed because I thought that Leonardo DiCaprio was murdered in real, as it was actually murdered. And my mom was oh, like. No what i'm like he's dead he'll never come back like no more leonardo dicaprio and mom's like no they do not kill people (laughs) (laughs) these are not snuff films but yes i also thought that for an embarrassingly long time i did too i don't i don't think i thought this when this movie came out but still like yeah I'm, I'm gonna have to um to disagree on the fan service aspect i'm really, really? really surprised yeah because watching it this time um i realized that the movie is structured so so smartly because it starts off with um it's it's very grounded in real life fears you have um you have heather worried about you know she's in this career where like if you if you notice her career at that time she wasn't in very much because all the the fame was going to freddie so she's dealing with living in the shadow of of a villain when she is like the heroine you have um the earthquakes which were really happening in fact um after the after like wrapping an earthquake hit la and they went back and filmed some of the scenes of devastation to to add to the movie so you had the the earthquakes you had her stalker you had the fact that you know like you mentioned before dealing with generational trauma and being afraid for your kid and you have all these like real world fears and 
Freddy takes a back seat to most of it and he's only sh- he's only shows up at certain points and it's only by like an hour into the movie even more so that he starts to like exert himself into it and at that point he had already uh Wes Craven had already said you know we need you to play Nancy once more and as that starts to happen all of a sudden she starts becoming more like Nancy and what is she going to do she's going to go through the kind of motions of the first movie and in a way it feels like almost like a condensed version of the first movie you have her her assistant julie who looks a lot like i mean i had to like look to make sure that it wasn't amanda, amanda what's her name amanda weiss weiss amanda weiss mm-hmm. yeah. yeah because she looks very similar to it and then she gets dragged up the wall and killed like yeah, the first movie i, also had to do, I did a double take on that one i was like hold on, hold yeah. on. who is that's um tracy middendorf yeah, and then there's like the 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 screw your pass. She like as it, they start to inject all these little things as as she's going through her transition to having to become Nancy one more time to destroy this this entity and the movie becomes more fantastical and it starts to do the thing that the first movie did where you couldn't quite tell if what was happening was real life and the well real life in the movie or if it was them dreaming because it just kept moving in back and forth and i i just i loved how it started to take on that form of her having to be nancy again and going through the same kind of experience that she had to go through in the first movie to defeat um this entity True. And, and like in relation to that, this was Heather Langenkamp's movie. It was barely about Freddie up until the end. Right. Yeah. It's her journey. And I love Heather Langenkamp as well. I was going to say she had like she looked like she barely aged. Like she still kind of looked like a teenager. Yeah. And like I was surprised about how much like how little Freddie really is in it. It's more like almost like paranoia and like we said, fear, especially about her child. And I think what really freaked me out watching this movie and actually made me kind of almost like tear up a couple times was this is like children are not sacred in this movie. And I feel like in no. a lot of horror, you know, we generally stay away from like hurting kids. But this one was like, ah, fuck that. And like was just very much like torturing this little kid, which is, I mean, I, I thought it was great, but also like, you know, it kind of hits you in a different way. When you're seeing like this little kid get absolutely tormented by Freddy Krueger. I mean, it's one thing to see these teenagers who basically look like adults being attacked, but this like little, what, like seven, eight year old boy, like with his little dinosaur Rex. Every oh, Rex. time he yelled for Rex, I was like, in my heart, I could just see my, my little cousin who's four, like crying and that like Ooh. punched me in the, in the gut a little bit. So that was really emotionally effective for me. For sure. And I love the addition of Rex. I want my own Rex. Right? Which I think somebody actually sells a Rex. Oh. I forget who. <laughs> but I did I did like that addition a lot. Like it kind of makes you it's like they it's like this balance established between like what how kids react to fear and what they think protects them. Especially I had stuffed animals that I always thought would protect me at night. Oh, same. And like, you yeah. know, make sure your feet are covered so that things don't grab your feet in the middle of the night. Like we talked about this actually in the Cujo episode, and this movie does it really well too, like capturing young, like young children's fear and portraying that really well on screen, and like seeing yourself and the kids who get freaked out or who are getting attacked. Exactly. What good casting of? I, okay, so I say good casting, but I I also don't I don't think Dylan is very well acted, but yeah. I, I do think. Shut it's up, good Terry. Casting. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. I guess that's because I'm a woman. 
highly sensitive just, ovaries that cannot handle the children being attacked. Oh. I'm just, no, no, no. I just, I don't think he was a very good, I don't think he was a very good actor. He just, he kept, at this time he came across as really corny, but also he's the kid that played Gage in Pet Cemetery. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Cause I was like, who, why does this child look so familiar to me? Who is this child? Why? Like, I usually, because like, I'm not like, I am not a huge person, like a person who likes children. So, <laughs> like, <Me> neither. <laughs> so, again, this, this emotional reaction to this child is very strange. But, okay, I, re- I thought his, like, weird, scary face looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> right? But see, what I think is interesting about that is, um, and, and this kind of ties into another thing I really wanted us to, to have a discussion about, is the... The idea of horror movies affecting kids, which is a big subject of this movie. And I think that's why I think it's interesting that they cast um, the kid that played Gage because, you know, he's a kid in a horror movie that gets brutally murdered and comes back and has to, like, you know, attack and kill his, his, his family. So, like, you have that playing into this movie as well as the conversation of what is horror movies effects on kids. What did you guys think about that discussion in this movie there there were a few moments that i this time around i actually felt uncomfortable for um dylan the kid and mainly and i may be reading too much into this but um the time where i think nancy um, heather is dreaming and she walks into the living or the um, kitchen living room area and like dylan has spread out the mailings that she had gotten Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. said answer the phone and um the phone rings And Nancy answers it, and Freddy is there, or the entity, and he laughs, and he says, I touched him. Oh, yes. God, yes! Yeah, that got to me. Like, technically doesn't mean in the way that we're thinking possibly, but, like, to know that this nasty being was able to affect a child and to let the mother know that this child is being affected by me, like, it, just, it skeezed me out. Well, and, like, Freddy Krueger is kind of, is a pedophile. Well, yeah. So, right. it, like you said, it's like that, that double meaning, and it's like you said, it's like that your child is being tainted, and your child is like her, and you know the whole film. She's so scared of affecting her kid, and she, I mean, she constantly is asking the babysitter, like, "Did he watch the movie? Don't let him watch the movie." And it's like she's trying to protect him, and then Freddie, and like, like just a couple words, like completely shatters that. Yeah. Um, but it, it was interesting, like, think watching the movie, and you know. There's the interview portion where she's asked by that interviewer, like, do you let your kid watch this movie? And it's like, it feels like a lot of the conversations that I have with people when I tell them I like horror. Like, Mm -hmm. you like horror? Like, what's wrong with you? And it's like this very uncomfortable conversation where, like, being involved with the horror community in any way means that there must be something wrong with you. And then that kind of goes into, and, and that almost feels like, to me, I kind of saw this connection between also her mental, like, the conversations of mental illness in this film as well. And it's always like, oh, you like horror? There's something like wrong with you. You must be mentally ill. It's like, well, n- no, no. no yeah. But like, there is that inter- that interesting connection. And again, like, Craven is so good at 
looking at these connections in the genre and kind of trying to question them and it kind of to piggyback off the that interview portion what i really liked about it was that like he's so aggressive in talking to her like does does this change your perspective of horror movies now that you know that she has a kid and she's like no not really And, and he's like would you let your kid watch it and the way she responds is like dylan no i wouldn't let him watch it but i think the way she says it it's it's almost as if like she knows that he's very sensitive and that he probably can't handle it yeah it's not so much of a Mm -hmm. um i won't let a kid watch it it's that like these aren't good for for dylan and it kind of also digs into the the idea of like this this reality versus um film slash fantasy where the guy's like would you trust him alone with dylan and she's like robert like you know it's like i'm not i'm not leaving him with freddy krueger i'm leaving him with 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 robert england right yeah well and again like especially because i get like the way that Robert Englund becomes like Freddy Krueger and, you know, Heather Langenkamp becomes Nancy. It's like people can't remove those two entities from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens a lot in horror where you see like an actor who portrayed like this character and it's like you can't. It's hard to kind of reconcile the difference, especially because like that is such an iconic person, such an iconic character. But then like when you get down to it, they really are just people. <laughs> But it's hard yeah. to kind of like, I mean, I think it's hard to kind of reconcile that a little bit. Though I guess without yeah. the makeup on, it is different. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it is really interesting to think about that. And like the discussion that this film has about letting kids watch horror movies and the effects that they have on kids. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, I, I I did some digging and because Wes Craven has, um, he's, he, he, he obviously loves horror, right? And he he had some quotes about it because he he doesn't he doesn't think that like he, well obviously he doesn't think that people that watch horror movies are you know mentally ill or anything like that. He says, and I love this quote. He says, "Horror films don't create fear; they release it." Yes, exactly. And the other quote that that he says that I absolutely love is that horror movies are like boot camp for the psyche. In real life, human beings are packaged in the films, film, filmsiest of packages, threatened by real and sometimes horrifying dangers, events like Col- Columbine. This was in 1999 that he's talking about this. But the narrative form puts these fears into a manageable series of events. It gives us a way of thinking rationally about our fears. And I, I think that he takes that in this movie and and really tries to hammer it home with the the idea of the fairy tale, um, because you know he's like she's reading the fairy tale kid book to the to the kid and, it, and to Dylan and it's it's really really gruesome, mm-hmm. um, and then there's the the whole idea of like Freddie being this like entity that they have to tell movies about in order to keep the evil at bay, and I think that really ties into his kind of philosophy of of why we watch horror movies or why we read horror books or why we consume um, any kind of horror. Totally agree on that. Um, I mentioned my cousin, Emily, she has a seven year old boy mm-hmm. and um, she's always asking, she's like, what can I let him watch? What should I let him watch? She's like, I want him to watch horror movies cause I love them and I think he can handle them, but I'm just not sure. And you know, I give suge- suggestions here and there, but the kid watched the, um, the new it. And was completely okay with it. Hmm. And his response to that too, his mom was like, mom, I'm not afraid of him. I know he's real. But if he was real, I would know how to beat him because I watched the movie. Oh. And oh. like it's, it's for them, it's just, I mean, sure, it's terrifying, could be terrifying. But for someone like him, like they, I think it helps you learn to deal with fear and deal with your own fears. 
Yeah, I like that. That's I feel like, you know, this podcast, you know, we always talk about like being terrified and scarred for life and like yeah. the traumatic impacts these movies had on us. But it is nice to hear that, like, you know, he's viewing these horror movies as something a little less terrifying. He doesn't mess with Annabelle, so. Valid. Annabelle is not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I do think that um, all the stuff that we're kind of talking about is partly why I don't think the movie is completely successful because I think it's taking on too much. Yeah. Because it, it's it's tackling yeah. this this meta narrative of of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films. It's tackling this idea of like what is what is horror? What are what is horror for? It's tackling um, fairy tales, and I. The part that I I didn't like when I was a kid and I still don't like to this day is the climax when she goes down this like, you know, she's she's eaten these (laughs) sleeping pills as a kind (laughs) of like breadcrumb. Yeah. To like get to this weird version of I guess it's hell. It's some kind of Uh, Grecian Roman Mix, I feel like uh, yeah. I feel like it's whatever sets they had on hand. Yeah. They just threw them together. Like there's one part where like they're they're in this room and there's there's like the seven deadly sins are written on the walls and there's like these coliseums and there's like I, I think it's probably trying to hint that like horror goes back to the beginning of time. Okay. Yeah. But like <sighs> that it part, doesn't work it, for me. Yeah. It always threw me off. I actually when I watched it last night, I cut it off right when it got to there. Yeah, I, I feel bad, but, like, I just, I stopped paying as close attention. Yeah. So like, well, the, the, it, it goes... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, you say it. Go ahead. It just, it just goes from, like, this, um, it, it goes from being about reality versus real, um, you know, like, film, realty, like, R-E-E-L-I-T-Y, to, like, this fairy tale thing that they had not set up other than her reading the kid to the book to the kid um, earlier. That's the only like indication of like it being a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And then she's going on this, like, you know, this down the rabbit hole of like Alice in Wonderland type thing. She even falls down a a water slide and then they kill him as if he's the witch. Like they Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I, I, I don't, I was really excited when the house turned back to like 1428 Elm Street and like it like hinted at, you know, that, you know, she's going to have to go back to where it all began. Which and then it doesn't. It would have been better if it stayed in that just in the house and like the interior of the house was the same as. Yeah. The right. Film. I would agree with that. It just, they went a little cray. I guess I just kind of liked the suspense that they created of like getting these phone calls and these letters. And it's like, is it actually mm-hmm. Freddie or is it not? And I mean, I don't know. I thought in my head it would have been awesome if that kind of like, again, like that kind of reality, like the creepiness of like a real person fucking with you and like would have been to me more effective. But I guess they wanted to do like, you know, bring Freddie back. I think in an original draft, um, Julie, the babysitter, was supposed to be that type of person. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because you can see throughout the film, like she has some like sneaky looking little stairs or she reacts weirdly to something oh interesting i'm not sure if it changed mid filming or what but i read that she was supposed to be that type of person oh so that would have been really that would have been really cool but yeah not to like be that kind of person that's like well i think it should have gone this way but but again like that again it's like the ending is like so it was like such a massive tonal shift that it's like very jarring yeah, yeah. 
But um, talk about um, – going back to what you said about um, kind of like fan service, uh, I, I didn't notice until this this viewing the amount of people that were at the funeral that were in previous yeah. uh, Nightmare movies. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, because like um, Rod from the first movie, the guy that um, gets hung in the, in the jail cell who's, you know, dating Tina the first – person to die he's at the he's at the funeral um tuesday night who yep. was in nightmare on street four is at the funeral sure. like there's like there's like a bunch of like people that are from from the movie that um are standing around the, the funeral is kind of like almost stunt casting like a little cameo see that's what i mean like I, and obviously like i don't think fan service is necessarily a bad thing but i think like no this definitely especially like coming in but 10 years after the first one and everything, like, it definitely felt like an ode to the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it might've, it might've worked better if it was done like seven or eight years after Freddy's dead, but it was only two or three years after Freddy's dead. That yeah. just happened. That was such a bad movie. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, I defended it on nightmare on film street, so I can't say much. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole article about it. <laughs> now there's like some i i do think there are some really still genuinely creepy parts um when freddie says hey dylan ever played in the cat that fucked yeah. me up yes. that was awful and also like i think that's the scene in the hospital right where he's dragging uh-huh. her that that's yep. also awful like the way that it switches back between like being able to see freddie and not seeing freddie and like but, but she's still getting dragged around the ceiling like that was that's awful and cr- there's so a, creepy. There's a part of that scene where um she's on the ceiling, he's standing over her on the ceiling, and like he's kind of hunched over her from the yes. shoulders over. And I really, I, I wanted to pause it and take a screen cap, but I never noticed how creepy that scene is. And Dylan's like at the bottom of the screen, like reaching up to Julie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also the other part that freaked me out was when Dylan climbs on top of that play because he went to see God. He went to see, like, God wouldn't take me. God wouldn't take me. I was like, yeah. this is too much. Like, this is like, oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. Like, I did not. Again, I was just like, went into this movie expecting like, kind of like a silly Friday, like not Friday, Jesus nightmare on Elm Street movie. And I'm like, this is actually very heavy and like very it emotionally is. intense. Like this totally. poor kid, like, and then he's asking his, like his mom, like, why does God let bad things happen? I was like, this is like, this is too much. <laughs> It gets deep. It gets really, like, surprisingly deep. And, again, like, for some reason, the kid stuff stuck with me more than it usually does. But they really played that up and having this, like, poor kid just, like, really going through it. Ugh. But his acting's kind of corny. I'm just kidding. I agree it with is. you. I agree with no, you. No, it's corny. Oh, no, it is, like, 100% <laughs> corny. And I fell for the corn hook, line, and sinker. So, like... Oh, I did. I did, too. <laughs> the dialogue's really well. And when he's, like, terrified of his mind, like, it's effective. He's effective, brother. Yeah. I wonder how Miku Hughes looks back. I'm sure there's an interview somewhere, but I wonder how he looks back on Pet Cemetery and this. He's probably like, this fucked me up as a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or he's like, I don't care. I can't remember. <laughs> he's apparently filming, um, according to his IMDb, a short film called Dylan's New Nightmare. Yes, oh I saw God. that. A Nightmare on Elm Street fan film. <laughs> I hope it gets made. I'm very interested. Plus, Nico Hughes is kind of hot too now. He's, is he's he? He's got like a yeah. very unattractive soul patch, though. Oh, I haven't seen. In some soul of the patch. pictures I'm looking at on on Google Images, without the soul patch, 
cute. With that weird patch of hair, not so much. Oh, I dig him. <laughs> I'm with Terry. I dig him. I really him. love the picture of him holding the Pet Cemetery book. The when he was a kid. Oh, yeah. It's just cute. It was, it was cute. Yeah. It was a cute little kid. He was he was adorable. It just mm, <laughs> not convincing. Not convincing. <laughs> but who was convincing? Uh, Fran Bennett as uh, Doctor Hefner. Yes. The uh, the Whoa, the, the, right? the doctor that's like trying to so good and the part where she's like little book is full of something I don't like let's get him open good and proper. cut this evil out of him that scene I was like oh yes that's awesome mm-hmm. I'm digging this she had a she's gonna um, cut this booger open that's what she said I love that line I caught that last night for the first time and cut yes. the evil out of him but um she's so I don't want to say intimidating she's not she's just she has a presence yeah I, I she does sweet I do one more thing about the closet <laughs> um <laughs> I, <laughs> we're gonna keep coming back to that yeah i um <laughs> told my my best friend jill about it she knew about it and i used i lived with her for a good two years and during that time um i walk into my bedroom one night out of the shower and i had a front-facing closet there and the door is slowly opening to the front-facing closet and i'm not thinking much about it until i see a human being like walk from outside the closet her plan was to jump out and scare the shit out of me but she got so tickled that she just like stumbled out of the closet laughing. Didn't matter. Oh, I screamed bloody murder and fetal oh, on the floor because I seriously no. thought entity Freddy Krueger was coming out of that closet oh, to get me. No. So she probably added to my fear of front facing closets. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, that Amazing. popped in my head. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Wow. I will eventually watch all of these movies. Oh my God, please do. <laughs> Especially the fourth one. That's what I was about to say, especially part part four. It's my favorite. Fine. <laughs> that includes the roach kill. That's real exciting. Oh, yeah. The special effects in four are just... They're ridiculous. They're so good. Yeah. They're so good. It's the top of its game, in my opinion. Everyone talks about three, but it's all about fours. Okay, special that's effects. the dream master. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I kind of, I mean, it's kind of a sequel to three. Yeah. So you kind and three, of he's got his needle hands, need to watch right? three. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm going to check on you about bi-weekly to see if you've watched okay, one at fine. least. Fine. Yes. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much, um, Josh, for joining us to talk about uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. Where um, can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up you want to share? Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram with Brooks A. Joshua. Um, and I actually, I am starting in March, a queer horror column for Nightmare on Film Street. Yes! I'm nice. so excited. I won't say what it's about, but the first film I deal with is Night of the Creeps. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm hoping that all comes together fine. And that's it. That's me. Awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with uh, New Nightmare? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com and we might feature you an upcoming episode. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, make sure to follow us at Scarred Podcast on Twitter. And tag us and we'd love to talk to you. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our intro music. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and stay creepy. And until next time. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? 
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 